Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is 9.07 and continuing our look back at 2022, KMOX alum Bob Costas spent an hour with Carol and Tom in studio this fall and we look back on part of that conversation with Bob Costas. When you became confident to be yourself and to let some of that humor come out, at what point did you also transition to giving opinion on sensitive topics, mm-hmm. I would say, on the air, on network television, and KMOX, for that matter, a couple of weeks ago, or CNN. Um, when did that develop in your career? There was not a conscious transition. It's circumstantial. The truth of the matter is that, where appropriate, I always did it. I was among the very first, and on network television, the only one who talked about steroids in baseball. Mm-hmm. The only one who talked about CTE uh, in football, which got me sideways with NBC for a while. Uh, Contrary to what people say, and there's so much ignorant stuff tossed out there now, people say stuff just because they feel like saying it. Uh, They have no verification of it. So I've heard people say, oh, now that he's not at NBC, Mm. he criticizes the IOC or he criticizes the NFL. That's part of the reason why I'm no longer at NBC. (laughs) The first time I talked about China and the Olympics and the IOC was at the opening ceremony in 1996 in Atlanta because I thought it was relevant. If the following things were true of Bulgaria, it wouldn't be relevant. But China was then an emerging superpower. They'd recently been readmitted to the Olympic movement after a long absence. The Soviet Union had collapsed. And so my point was, if there is any country that has the means the resources, the motivation to replicate the old Eastern Bloc sports machine with all that implies, uh, not that American athletes haven't cheated, but we didn't have systemic government-sponsored cheating programs like the East Germans, like the Russians to this day. You're looking at that nation. And then I also said uh, they have more than a billion people and an economy growing at more than 10% a year. Every nation, including the United States, wants in on that economy. That's since been proven to be true for better or for worse. But there are significant issues regarding human rights, regarding a threat to Taiwan, regarding uh, intellectual property. They would like to host an Olympics, and they certainly have the wherewithal to do it. We saw what happened in 2008 in Beijing. But at that time, uh, they had failed in a bid to host the 2000 Olympics, which went to Sydney. They had not yet been granted the 2008 
all of that I considered to be relevant. It wasn't like, hey, let me uh, give you my opinion on the value-added tax. It was relevant to what's happening or was happening in the Olympics at that time. The Internet was in its infancy, but orchestrated from Beijing. There was a push to have me either fired by NBC for these inappropriate remarks when actually they were journalistically pertinent, or to have me do, quote, a sincere public apology in prime time, none of which was forthcoming. So it wasn't like I all of a sudden decided. It was when the circumstances presented themselves, and people also don't make valid distinctions very often. I was not doing play-by-play at the Olympics. On Sunday Night Football, I was the host. I was on pregame and halftime. People who say, during, he said this or that during the game, Not once, not ever. A, it would be counterproductive, not effective. And B, why would I do that? Why would I want to do that when Michael Phelps is jumping in the pool or when Simone Biles is hopping on uh, the balance beam? Why would I do that with the bases loaded in the ninth inning of the World Series? It would be stupid. I don't do that. Uh, But when issues intersect with sports, then I felt it was the host's duty just as in a different context, it was Jim McKay's duty in 1976, I'm sorry, 1972, to switch from sportscaster to newsman, just as it was Al Michaels' duty in 1989 when the earthquake hit in the middle of the World Series in San Francisco to wind up getting nominated for a news Emmy because of what he did. Um, I just think that should be part of the job judiciously, and that's what I've tried to do. It, it, it speaks to, I believe, this may, perhaps a lack of understanding that the public has or the ability, the intention of politicians to drive the public one way or the other as we are seeing. Yeah, everything's grievance, everything's resentment, everything's pushing a hot button rather than presenting a nuanced fact-based opinion. You can have an opinion as long as it's based on facts and is fair. Uh, I've said this many times. When Fox News came into existence in 1996, they could have done a very great thing. They could have been a thoughtful, fact-based, right-of-center alternative to the mainstream media, which did have and still does have certain premises that are almost unconscious, that lean somewhat to the left. It's not crazy far left like Donald Trump and MAGA media would have you believe, but there were some of those uh, built-in biases. In fact, Bernie Goldberg, a longtime CBS a correspondent who more recently was at HBO, is a good friend of mine, wrote a book called Bias uh, at some time in the 1990s, and I've recommended that book on KMOX, not because I'm a Republican or a conservative, but because I thought he made very good points. Instead, Fox News became, with some exceptions, but by and large, Fox News became a propaganda outfit. It was Roger Ailes' business model, and there was a certain evil genius behind it. And now you see them twisting themselves into a pretzel as every bit of damning information about Donald Trump, not just with regard to what the DOJ is up to now, but the entire administration of Donald Trump. And if you want to go back to his entire corrupt life with each damning bit of information, they twist themselves into a pretzel to try and justify, rationalize, deflect, change the subject. Or what about Well, no matter how crummy the uh, crummy is the wrong word, no matter how tragically botched 
uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was, no matter how much chaos there is at the border, no matter what's true about Hunter Biden's laptop or Hillary Clinton's emails, no matter how stupid it is to chant defund the police when the very people doing the chanting represent a community that would be most negatively impacted by defunding the police, no matter how much blind, woke indoctrination may be going on in our schools and universities, none of that acquits Donald Trump. None of it. it. It would be as if Al Capone's lawyer said, well, what about John Dillinger? OK, we'll get to that next. What, how does how does that mitigate the guilt of your client? And none of that is anti-conservative or anti-Republican. The country needs a thoughtful, a thoughtful, not crazed. And presently, it's kind of crazed Republican Party, just as the Democratic Party needs to turn its back from the worst excesses within its ranks. And then we can have what is needed, which is an ongoing discussion about the issues on their merits among honest, well-intended people. I can disagree with you, but still recognize your integrity and the honesty of your position, and then we can hash it out. But if you're coming from a dishonest place, then there's no starting point, at least no credible starting point. We have to take a break, but I want to say one more thing. Is it On that note, is it fair to say that it's an ongoing push to get reelected? The, the both parties that it's designed to polarize and to separate us and yeah to drive elections and yeah is getting done. it's not an exact equivalency there is plenty to object to on the left whatever we describe as the left or within the democratic party but it's a false equivalency uh the republican party has been turned into a donald trump cult uh it's it's bat bleep crazy. Uh, it's worse. Are there real concerns on the other side? Yes. Nothing like this. Nothing where they still venerate, at least a certain portion of them, still venerate somebody who tried to overturn democracy itself, who lies as often as he breathes. This is your guy? Come on. All right. That is just a bit of Bob Costas and his conversation this past fall with Carol and Tom. Stick around because we're going to check in with a local Jeopardy champion. The voice of St. Louis. News that matters to you. KMOX. Well, it's a tune that many people immediately recognize, but for Emily Fiasco, a band director in the Melville School District, it's an opportunity she waited many years for. KMOX's Maria Kina spoke with Emily. So how did your students feel about this when they found out you were going to be on Jeopardy? Oh, I'm teaching a band camp um, this week, actually, and so I showed up on Monday and I was trying to check all the kids in and they were all just like, I watched you on TV. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Emily Fiasco, our returning champ, what did you come up with? Who is Lennon and how much did you wager? $11,201 with $25,201. Congratulations, you are again our Jeopardy champion with a two-day total of $53,201. Can she finish off the week of champion? Tune in tomorrow to find out. You know, I knew because um, this was yesterday, and so I knew I was going to lose. So I was like, "Well, don't get, don't get too comfortable with it." I didn't say anything, but you know, thinking that. <laughs> Let's talk about that loss. A dollar. <laughs> yeah, it was disappointing, but I knew that um, you know I had wagered everything I had going into it, so um, I, I knew that really the only way I was going to win would be if they got it wrong. 
and I got it right. When when the question came up, I was a little disappointed because I figured somebody else was going to know that too. For the listeners who might not have seen it, tell us what the question was. Um, it was about a specific staging of a play and they gave the stage director and said that um, the scenery contained just one scraggly tree. And so I knew it was the play Waiting for Godot. I've never seen it, but um, that's a question that comes up a lot on Jeopardy. So I've, you know, like read about it and kind of knew the association there. When it happened, explain what that's like to to us. (laughs) It was, it was, um, I mean, you know, I was excited for all that I had wanted, but I was a little disappointed. I had to fly back out. My first three shows taped on one day. So then I had to come back home, go back to school, go back to work and everything, and then go back out for the show that that was aired yesterday. Um, And so that was a little disappointing to fly like all the way out there, kind of have all this built up in my mind and then lose first thing but I'm still really grateful for the experience and it was really amazing. When was it actually filmed? Um, The first three episodes that aired last week taped on May 6th and then um, the one that aired yesterday this week's episode I, I think it was May 15th or 16th it was about 10 days later. And I take it you're not allowed to talk about that? Um, I mean, just, you know, anything that hasn't aired yet, I've got to keep it keep it secret. <laughs> yeah, so they don't let you just, you know, go and tell your friends or anybody when you get home what happened. No, no, I came home and I told, um, you know, my husband knew um, and my, my mother and my in-laws had had to babysit our kids while I went out there. So I, I let them in on it. But for everybody else, I had to keep it under my hat. What gave you the motivation? What'd you say? That's it. I'm going and uh, going to apply for Jeopardy. Um, I mean, it's been a lifelong dream, which I don't know, you know, if that makes me sound a little crazy, but I've been trying out since um, 2008. I had my first audition. I was a sophomore in college and they have a college tournament. So I've gone um, and like made it to the in-person round uh, five times before I eventually got on. How difficult is it? (laughs) Um, It's pretty tricky. So the kind of current process is there's an online test that you take. um, And then if you pass it, they never really tell you if you pass it or not. You either just hear from them or you don't. Um, If you pass it, then they get in contact with you. And then it used to be in person. Now it's over Zoom. You take another test um, like while they're watching to make sure that you didn't cheat the first time. And then you also do a little um, gameplay interview kind of session where they can see how awkward you might be on camera or you know if you're going to freeze up or anything like that. So was there anything that happened that... Because uh, obviously you've been an avid list, uh, viewer for many, many years since you were a child. Was there anything that completely just took you by surprise? Um, I'm just kind of amazed at how fast the day went. They take five episodes in a day, um, you know, the whole week's worth all at once. And so um, that's, you know, including to a lunch break and a kind of they give you a practice round and hair and makeup and everything. So the games are really condensed in. They're taped almost as quick as it is, you know, as you see on TV. So um, the day really flew by. So those three episodes, those first three episodes, that was recorded all in one day? Yes. So that was the span of about an hour and a half to two hours from, okay, I'm going to go on now to, holy cow, (laughs) I want a lot of money. Were you just completely, at that point, were you you tired or was was the adrenaline kicking in and, and you just, you wanted to win? 
the adrenaline was kicking in for sure. Um, especially last Friday's show, I had kind of gotten into a groove with the buzzer. And he was like, no, I don't, I don't want it to be over. You know, bring more opponents. Let's keep this going. <laughs> Your students said, okay, I saw you, Miss Fiasco. What, what else? I mean, they that had to be pretty cool. For, and and what, what year school are we talking about? Yeah, so I teach middle school, um, sixth through eighth grade, and I primarily work with our beginners, so mostly sixth graders. Um, I think we are going to have a watch party kind of after the fact at our school auditorium just for the kids to come up and watch and so that they can see. They've been really supportive. I couldn't tell them when I went out, but you know, after the fact, they've all been really excited. And I think it's really cool for them to see one of their teachers on TV. The first three rounds when you, when you just blew through them, and was there <laughs> anything that you were like, oh, man, I don't know about this? Oh, yeah. So my first episode, um, I was not winning. The, the One of my other opponents had built up a pretty nice lead, you know, going into like the halfway point of the first show. And so by that point, I thought like, well, okay, this is done for me already. And I'm only, you know, like 10 minutes into the experience. But um, I was able to come back and, and then get final Jeopardy right and, and end up winning that show. You had mentioned that you told your mom. What did your mom think? How, how did she react to this? <laughs> She was really excited. So she's, you know, supported me this whole time. Um, and like I said, I've done a number of auditions where I had to fly to Chicago. One time I had to drive to Oklahoma City. And so she's gone on a lot of these trips with me. So she was just so excited, you know, for me to finally get to go on and get to see how I was going to do. And then win besides. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that was fun for her to watch too. <laughs> so is your favorite category music? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, most people are not excited to see the opera category come up, but I got um, that category like on my last round on Friday, and I think I was the only one kind of under my breath. Yes. <laughs> Do you play an instrument? Yeah, I play the flute primarily. I can play um, all of our band instruments at least better than a sixth grader. So <laughs> <laughs> when you when you get there, like what are the accommodations like? So um, we had to get our own flight and hotel out there. Um, so I had to book all of that myself. I had about a month's notice. The flight cost wasn't too bad, but it was still a little rough. Um, and my, my husband went out with me. He couldn't, they don't have an audience right now, so he couldn't come watch the show, but he came um, just kind of support me. Um, we had to get out there a day early to do a COVID test too. They were really strict with all their COVID protocols. Got out there and then took the COVID test and then I had to be at the set, I think at seven in the morning the next day. I was really glad that I'd flown, you know, the way um, kind of working with the time zones. I wasn't having to get up super early. <laughs> yeah, um, they, they did fly me out. Um, so once I was like the returning champion because I had won and so then I had to come back on a separate day to keep playing. And so they did take care of my flight at that point. Would you do it again? I wish. You can only go on um, once. Once you're on, then you're done. But it was a lot of fun. I, I wish that I could go back. And that is Maria Kina with the St. Louis Jeopardy champion. Coming up later this hour, TV Guide's Matt Roush joined Tom and Debbie recapping the... Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to Credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Best TV of 2022. Up next, we look at the brain. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX. Dr. Chantel Pratt is the author of The Neuroscience of You, How Every Brain is Different and How to Understand Yours. She's a professor at the University of Washington. She has appointments in the departments of psychology, neuroscience, and linguistics as well. You say, first of all, welcome. I love the book. Thank you so much for joining us on KMOX. Thank you so much for having me. I feel it would be remiss if I didn't mention that in Kansas City in 1994, I fell in love with the brain. So good morning, St. Louis. <laughs> I love that intro. I love that. You, you do write in the book that the brain changes dramatically based on circumstances. How so? And are you talking about trauma or stress or just living in the East or living in the South? What are you talking about? <laughs> All of the above. So the thing is, you know, I, I, one of my pet peeves is when people use the computer as a metaphor for the brain. The computer, the brain is not a computer. The brain is a biological organ that changes with every new experience you have. So, you know, you're a moving target. And I always want to emphasize this, that just because I say your brain makes you this way, which is almost always true, doesn't mean either that you were born that way or that you can't change. So some of the things that change us are incremental. You know, you, it might not make a single difference as far as what you will notice. But your brain is taking statistics like, oh, I just washed dishes for the 942nd time. That does shape you a tiny, tiny bit, right? And then other times like trauma or you hear something that really resonates with you, it might be pivotal. pivotal. It might be instrumental. And so you just don't know. But your brain is changing right now for better or for worse as it listens to me. The question is really will that make a difference? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting and one of the many ways that our individual differences play out. It is amazing. It's an incredible organ. You, uh, I want to talk about the brain and how it can really control your body in ways too. Can it? I mean, it is, it's so strong that you can physically feel ill because your brain is working overtime about a certain subject or a stress. How does all that work and connect? Well, you know, your brain is innervating every part of your body, you know, from your organs to your muscles. And a lot of the chemicals that your body uses to communicate is, are also in your brain. For instance, serotonin is the drug in your brain that makes you feel satiated. It's often called the happy drug, but I think it's not quite right. It's like, I've had enough. I'm fulfilled. 80% of the serotonin in the body is, is created in the gut. It's the same neuro, it's the same chemical in the body that tells you literally, I'm full. 
right? So there, there are these shared communication systems. And of course, there are signals coming from the body to the brain and from the brain to the body all the time. So let's let's talk about mind control. You write about this, you studied mm. this and and by mind control we mean control of your own mind when it comes to maybe attention mm-hmm. span. But I wanted to bring in politics into this because today's a primary mm. election day in Missouri. Um, mm-hmm. you, you you write about how our brains receive new ideas or even avoid new information. Mm. And that makes me think of the politics of today. Yeah, you know, this is something that's seems to me to be so important because we get entrenched in our ideas and our beliefs and we don't really have, I think most people don't really have a good idea of where they come from and or in what situations do we feel open to take in new information and change our minds and in what situations do we not feel open to take in new information and change our minds. So based on curiosity research, I sort of connected the dots in different pieces of information about neuroscience and came up with the following hypothesis. If there is a belief um, that you hold to be true that is not centrally related to your identity or your feelings of belonging, for instance, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? You're more willing to feel curious and take in new information. If I tell you, for instance, the dress is blue and black, And if you see it as white and gold, it's because your brain perceived the light coming from the back of that picture and subtracted a shadow. Most people don't feel offended by that. Most people feel open to that interpretation. Most people don't say that's BS because even though we, we tend to identify with other people who see, you know, team black and blue or team white and gold, Mm -hmm. we don't really have a strong horse in the race, right? Like you don't, you didn't go forth and, identify as team black and blue. Yeah, I'm not going to block you on social media because you're team exactly, right. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, right? And I think that that sort of when we feel threatened or we feel like we feel danger, right? And I think that if something, if a belief threatens your sense of self, that is a real danger. Your brain perceives that as danger. Mm. So imagine that our feeling of curiosity, imagine that we're walking through the forest or we're in a new neighborhood and we have this decision about whether to explore. Oh, there could be new information here. Could be new stuff. Could be good. Or "Mm, this doesn't feel good. There could be bear or something hiding in that cave, right? That feels bad. When you feel that sense of threat, you don't, you don't go exploring. You don't go seeking new information. And I think that when our beliefs are tied to that kind of a thing, we shut down. We turn down the volume on the new uh, information. That, that's good. I feel like men and women have been trying to figure each other out for years and years and years. Are, are our brains different? Are male and female brains uh, wired differently? I, you know, it really depends on who you ask. Um, my intuition about that, or not my intuition, but my belief based on the data that I have fed my brain is that, all of the most uh, commonly cited differences between male and female brains, like um, women are more lateralized than men, they don't necessarily replicate across studies. So here's the deal. Men are genetically different than women. And I don't think that it would be completely wild if our brains are built differently. But the problem is that from the first moments of life, 
men and women are treated differently. They're taught that people use different vocabulary and different amounts of vocabulary with a newborn girl than a newborn boy. So even if we do observe differences between male and female brains, I think it's really hard to decide that that's genetic and not environmental. Wait, 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 Dr. Pratt, wait, wait. Do we talk to girls more or less than we talk to boy babies? No, she said differently. Well, she said amount of words words too, too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) At least the old data suggests this. I don't know whether it's been updated, but yes, yes. Yeah. It's interesting. That's I mean, not good. <laughs> yeah, it isn't. And I try, like, now when I go in and see my friend's babies, I try to come with, oh, you look strong, or, you know, like things that are not like, oh, how pretty, or, you right. know, different. We I just, do the same thing. You can't tell the difference between a newborn girl and a boy in a picture. Like, if you don't know their gender, you can't, or their sex, you can't tell the difference. It's a great book. It is a great book. It's called How Every Brain is Different and How to Understand Yours, The Neuroscience of You. Dr. Chantel Pratt with us on KMOX. Thank you so much for your time. And you guys go out and get this book. It's very interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was really interesting. It is 942. This is Total Information AM. We're taking a look back at some of our favorite things from 2022, including television. Matt Roush of TV Guide Magazine checks in next. Live and local, this is St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Joining us on the Quiver River guest line is TV Guide Magazine's Matt Roush. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. One of your top picks of the shows this year is from a network, which my kids don't even know what network means. That's how far we've gone into the streaming world. But it's uh, Abbott Elementary. Yeah, and actually they probably would see it on Hulu because in the next day, all of ABC shows go to Hulu the next day, so you can stream it that way. And if you have the right subscription without ads even, which makes it even better. But yeah, I mean, this was like, I, I can't remember the last time, maybe Modern Family or This Is Us, really, more like This Is Us, was probably the last uh, network television show that I put at the top of the list at the year that it premiered. But in January of this year, we had Abbott Elementary to premiere on ABC. It's this wonderful show shot in sort of a modern family mock documentary style set inside an underfunded um, Philadelphia public school uh, where the elementary school teachers are the stars of the show, and they are a very eclectic, funny bunch. Uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph won an Emmy um, playing the kindergarten teacher who's been there forever. Quinta Brunson, who created the show and stars in the show, won an Emmy for writing. And it really is just a great ensemble piece. Uh, The humor is very funny, but it's also pointed. It it really does. uh, It's about something. It's about people who are, you know, doing something for the greater good but they are very overwhelmed while trying to do it. And the principal is the most unprincipled character of all. She has no business being in that school. Her name is Ava. She's played by Janelle Jones, and she's a scream. So, yeah, there's a lot about elementary to like, Abbott Elementary to like, and I really like it. Matt, this is The White Lotus. What was the thing that made you want to dedicate your whole life to activism? Was it one incident that was especially brutal? I, I, I don't understand. What do you mean, activism? Yeah. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter? I'm not involved in that. You're not? Oh. You, uh, no. Was you, yeah, you said BLM. <laughs> yeah, that's the Bureau of Land Management. <laughs> Jennifer Coolidge. This is getting a lot of buzz. Matt, what do you oh. think? Oh, yeah. Uh, weeks after it went off the air, I'm still, ha- you know, anywhere I go with dinner conversation about television, this always comes up. The White Lotus, HBO season two 
just as good as season one. Some people think it was even better. Uh, went from Hawaii to Sicily, and the travelers were just as miserable and just as messed up. And Jennifer Coolidge, the most of them all, uh, she won an Emmy for the first season, and she probably get one for the second as well. It's a really just it's an escapist series. Uh, it, it looks amazing. You're going to want to travel to Taormina and Sicily all, uh, immediately. But at the same time, these people are really uh, unhappy. They can't get over themselves, and there's a lot of interpersonal drama with a bit of a satire in there as well about how the rich just are not able to enjoy it. But yeah, but The White Lotus, the second season, was really intricately pl- plotted, and again, as in the first season, you spent the whole time wondering who was going to survive and who wasn't going to survive. No spoilers for those who haven't watched it yet, but it's definitely worth watching. One of the, It's a purely great HBO show. Um, and, and my other favorite streamer out there, because HBO is also HBO Max, is Apple TV+. Plus. They do such great work, and they're all about quality, not quantity, so they don't have a lot on the service, but what they do is great. And my number two show for the year was Severance, which was this kind of wild fantasy series about a workplace where you're, you have a surgical chip, and when you go down the elevator to work, you are surgically severed from who you were on the outside. So the outside person doesn't know who they are on the inside at work, and the people inside at work don't really know who they are from the outside. And when the worlds begin to blur, it becomes almost like a conspiracy thriller. Really original series. And, of course, originality is harder and harder to find on television. So those are some of my top picks. You know, uh, Severance, I was one of those shows that after I watched it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And Helly R., the actress who plays her, came to St. Louis to do a month-long run with our Circus Flora. And I totally fangirled because I got to interview her. I was like, it's Helly R. Oh, my God. She oh, was that's great. wild. Um, but one other show that you loved that's also a network TV show, so there were two on your list, which is kind of amazing, yeah. is we're going to play a little clip here. What people should be talking about is Isaac and Eddie. Am I being seduced? Yeah. I want it badly and I want it now. Talk about a cast of characters, CBS's Ghosts. Yeah, and it's nice to know the ghosts still can really get it on once they're dead. Uh, so that's really fun. <laughs> but yeah, it's a show about the, uh, the two people who get who inherit a B and B in Vermont or, or someplace like that, and uh, they, it turns out to be um, inhabited all by ghosts. And the uh, gal in the couple, she has a near death experience, and she can see the ghosts. Her husband can't see the ghosts. No one else can either. But the ghosts have a life of all of their own, and they're always observing the action that's going on in the live world. And what it really reminds me of is a show I grew up with called Bewitched, where the characters are really, they're fantastical, but they're also really theatrical. And each of the characters has a very distinct sensibility. One is a Viking, one is a Revolutionary War guy, one is a 1920s flapper. You've got a hippie, you've got a a Wall Street jerk who has no pants. And so each of them are individually interesting, but it's also just a really funny show. And when I was putting together the list, I know, you know, that's not the most important show on TV, but it brought me a great deal of pleasure week after week. And every time I get a screener, I have one for next week already. I just can't wait to watch it. It's just a great deal of fun. So yeah, a network TV can still uh, produce hits. Uh, Abbott Elementary and Ghosts are both, both very, very successful ghosts for CBS. And so yeah, uh, network TV isn't entirely dead, but it is on life support many times. Talk about a series that stays with you. We can pay you. Anything you want. I don't want your money. Name your price. You can change your life. You can change anyone's life you want. Except your money's toxic. But it it won't be ours. It'll be yours. Money doesn't know where it came from. Oh, the show that's supposed to take place in Missouri, but of course isn't filmed here because we have no film tax credits. But anyway, Ozark. (laughs) 
Yeah, we had a lot of shows go off the air last year. It was also a really interesting show. That, uh, 2020 was an interesting year for saying goodbye to series that had really given us great entertainment over the last number of years. Ozark on Netflix, definitely one of them, ended on a very, very dark note, but that show was really dark to begin with. And then you had Better Call Saul on AMC, which uh, gives us the very end of the Breaking Bad universe, all those great seasons of Breaking Bad. And this was a sort of a prequel spinoff all about the character Saul Goodman, who you learned was earlier called Jimmy McGill. And it was this uh, shyster lawyer's journey from sort of innocence to great corruption and then getting his um, sort of comeuppance. And Carol Burnett was the instrument of his downfall in the final episodes. I couldn't believe it. Carol Burnett uh, coming back to television. She was amazing. So that was terrific. The Good Fight, this politically charged show on Paramount Plus also went off the air. But I think in terms, again, going back to network TV, NBC said goodbye after six seasons to This Is Us, the weekly tearjerker about the Pearson family starring one of your local favorites, Sterling K. Brown, and, um, and, and it was really moving all the way to the end. It's the kind of show you just don't see almost anywhere, including on network television. So for NBC to give up the ghost on This Is Us, it was a very significant moment. I'm not sure we'll see it's like again, but again, it was quite a significant year for uh, bidding farewell to shows that meant a lot to a lot of people. All right, and one more thing for you before we let you go. I understand that you are recommending a documentary about, uh, let's see, is it Whitney Houston's aunt? The Whitney Houston docu-movie that's out is getting um, kind of mixed reviews, but um, if we want to see something about Dion Warwick, you'd be all for that? Yes, I think they were cousins, but, I, cousins. but I'm not 100% sure. But yes, indeed, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've seen the Whitney Houston movie without even seeing it. Uh, we all lived it, for one thing. But yes, the documentary on CNN, it's, they've got a wonderful documentary on Dionne Warwick called Don't Make Me Over, and it charts her career. She was one of the first crossover artists from R&B to the pop charts with all those great Burt Bacharach songs that she sang, you know, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, all those other ones, Don't Make Me Over. And she was also quite the activist for civil rights and for AIDS research. Um, that's what Friends Are For, which she was very instrumental in, has raised millions and millions of dollars, took no royalty from that and uh, just has had this incredible career as a style icon a music icon everybody sings her praises including snoop dogg it's a really good it's a really good documentary so if you're looking for something <laughs> um to sort of lift your spirits you can watch Dion warwick on cnn you never know where snoop dogg's gonna pop up it's always a surprise <laughs> <It's true. laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. snoop, yeah martha stewart's best friend yeah <laughs> well matt roush thank you so much for the time we appreciate it and happy new year it is 9.55, and yeah, Happy New Year to all of you. So if you were thinking, oh, what am I going to watch now? There's some good suggestions for you. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.